Well, it seems to me that there is a lot of dissatisfaction with churchiness these days. People are just not all that excited about going to church anymore. It used to be when I was a kid, church going to church on Sunday morning was what you did if you're a Christian, and that's the way it is. But what we're having to face up to now is forcing us to recognize that the church is important only if it does what it's supposed to be doing. The church is supposed to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and uh, not its own success story. So, is a church really doing that? We have the right to evaluate churches, and um, maybe it's important for us to get back to the original fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not the gospel of the church. It's the gospel of the kingdom. All right, so what we're having to do is to recognize the church is one thing, the kingdom of God is another thing, and that's something that God has had to be had to deal with for a long, long time. We, we get confused between the two, church, kingdom. We almost think that the church is the kingdom of God, and if we're, succeed, if we're going for our own success as church people, then that is the kingdom of God, but that is a deception. Um, the kingdom of God is the presence of the king. So do we hunger and thirst for the presence of the king? Um, that's kind of the issue, and that's what Jesus has been presenting to us as the real issue ever since about the 16th century, where he began to introduce the possibility of bestowing his presence on communities in what we call revival tides, seasons of revival, meaning a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a fresh bestowal of the kingdom of God to communities and neighborhoods. These things have been happening ever since 16th century Scotland. So let me share with you a story where God first began to confront people with this issue that the church isn't the kingdom of God after all, and the church needs to con to be confronted and to pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a higher thing. Here's a, a place my wife and I visited back in 2003. It's, it's a place called Denoder Castle, uh, and inside the castle is this place, the Martyr's Vault or the Whig's Vault, uh, it's a dismal, dismal place where we learned that 167 covenanters um, back in the 1600s, 1670s or 80s, right in there, had been crammed into that space. 167 people, no place to sit down, just crammed into that space, and then the jailer shutting the door on them and tossing the key away and coming back months later and uh, to see if anybody was still alive. Uh, apparently he found a few people still alive. I don't know if jailers or some people with compassion had fed these people or what, but 
um, it's a really a horrible story of uh, of persecution of Christians. And who was doing this, and why were they being persecuted? Well, English Christians were persecuting Scottish Christians, and that's the tragedy of this. So you have two definitions of what Christianity is, and they are at war with each other. The English church has accepted the idea that Christianity is a religion starting long ago, and Jesus started the one true religion and set it going. It's kind of like a a self-perpetuating machine. It just keeps on going, keeps on going, keeps on going under the control of the Pope, but then we were all familiar with the, the, the Protestant Reformation and then King Henry VIII and then pretty soon the King of England is in, is in control of this religion, but it's still just a religion that goes by itself. It keeps on going where the, the people in charge of the religion are the vicar of Christ. In other words, they're the representatives of Christ. Jesus in heaven, we're on earth, we've got this religion going. And that's one idea of what Christianity is. But then Jesus comes into Scotland and introduces the kingdom of God. So how did he do this? He, he did this by establishing a season of his presence, or what we're calling a revival tide. And this is a new thing. I mean, it is really a new thing. And, and it starts in Scotland, and revival tides are going to happen again and again and again, and they're going to spread out from Scotland. They're going to come over the Atlantic Ocean, continue in this country, and that's where, um, for us Americans, it has relevance for us still to this day, and I believe there is coming soon a worldwide revival tide so it does us good. It would be of interest to us, I think. It's relevant for us to look at this whole pattern of revival tides, which is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in successive generations. That it's not, Christianity is not just a self-perpetuating machine that keeps on going. Jesus established it at the start but it is the presence of God revealing himself to his people in very real ways, a fresh Pentecost that he bestows on people so that they can get renewed in his presence and the glory of the king will appear again and again and again. So that's what's happening in Scotland, but the people of England, especially the English church, did not believe it, did not receive it, did not understand it. And to them, these Scottish people were just being crusty and obstinate and refusing to go along with what the King of England said. And that's what the King of England himself believed. And so um, King Charles II uh, would send his English bishops and their dragoons to arrest Scottish people who weren't really that interested in just having this self-perpetuating religion that was trying to force itself on Scotland. But instead what they did was they went out into what is called conventicles. 
And uh, these were large gatherings of thousands of Scottish people who would get together in the presence of maybe four or five pastors. And those people would uh, meet with Jesus. And it was very real because these pastors were familiar with the gospel of the kingdom. They preached the gospel of the kingdom. It wasn't just a self-perpetuating religion to them. They really met in those outdoor places to meet with Jesus. And Jesus would bestow his spirit and his presence on them. He would speak to them. He would renew their faith and their love in Christ in very real ways. And, um, that was worth dying for. See, so often I've been presented with the idea that the Scottish Reformation was just a new uh, form of government, you know, and uh, they, 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 in, they developed this new form of government called Presbyterianism. And, uh, and they, the, the English were forcing Episcopalianism on there. It wasn't like that at all. It was very much... Jesus coming to the Scottish people and revealing himself for a purpose. And the purpose was to show those people the kingdom of God. Not religion, but the kingdom of God that the church is supposed to be pursuing all the time. And they were aware that they were being entrusted with a great treasure they covenanted, they actually signed a national covenant, the Scottish people did, at the third of these four revival tides that I describe in my book, Glory Through Time. They, they made it a national thing. They, they, they said, we are making a covenant with this Jesus and we will be faithful to him. And that was worth dying for. And that was what it was really all about. And that's still what it's all about. Either the church is going to just continue this self-perpetuating religion, or it will really pursue the kingdom of God, which is worth dying for.